0: Hello and welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Lindsay Broker and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Joe Lallo, And I'm Andrea Pearson. We're going to go back to the basics this week and talk about how to grow your audience as an author. I was inspired by basically I ripped this off of a K-Boards post. Hardly anybody goes to K-Boards anymore, but every now and then I pop in there to see if there's any news. And um, in response to the question, how to how to grow your audience, how to grow your audience as an author, all of the answers are, like advertise here advertise, pay for this. So we have a couple things about advertising, but we are gonna to try to go beyond that and give some advice on all that stuff. So no matter where you are in your journey, chances are you want more readers, because we all kind of do. But uh, before we jump into the topic, do you guys have any news you wanna share?
1: Uh, I don't have too much to report since the last uh, news post. I'm getting close to the 100,000 mark on my epic fantasy, and I'm also getting close to the end, so it looks like I learned my lesson from the last one. I'm going to gonna hit at least 100K uh, with with additional hooks to potentially extend it if I feel like I've got time, but i got a tight deadline on this one for me. Uh, I've also been in contact with my cover guy for not just the covers of book one and book two of that series, but also... I'm planning on doing a volume two collection for all three of my main series. Uh, we discussed this a little bit in previous weeks, but I'm going to be doing a four, five, six collected edition to go along with my one, two, three collected editions, uh, as well as any of the other short stuff that I've done since I did the original collections. And then I'm going to do a complete edition as a direct sale item on my, uh, on my website. Like that'll be my, my, more recent foray into direct sales. I used to do them a while ago, but things have gotten better since then. So I'm going to restructure to take care you know, take advantage of modern technology. And uh, that's about it.
0: I am envious of your 100,000 word epic fantasy. I am almost done with my first editing pass of mine, book two in my series. And it's about to eke over 190,000 words. It was 183, I think. And then I trimmed it while I was editing as one does. And when I trim it somehow, I take like three away and add six. So there's trimming involved, but it doesn't quite work. And I've got a couple more scenes to add short scenes. This is going to be close to 200, I think, by the time it gets done. But um hey, at least it's going into KU. So page reads will make me more than the actual price of the book. And um I actually launched the first book in that series today i It'll be out for about a week, I guess, when you guys get this. And um, I have not sent out a newsletter announcement yet. Just did the social media stuff. And I noticed uh, BookBub sent out the... I didn't pay for it. It's just the one that basically you claim your book and they send it out when on release day to your readers. So they send it out. It got a nice little bump. I, I'm doing this one at two ninety nine. Instead of 99 cents, which I usually launch a new series at when I'm doing the rapid release, and I've basically got book two coming a couple weeks later, and book three a few weeks after that. But these are long books, and so the rapidness is not happening. I am, I should be able to get book two out in June, which is in a couple months. So it's more rapid than some, some authors, but, uh, due to size constraints or what's the opposite of constraints, ballooning, size ballooning, I will not be releasing a book a month this year. Um, so I went with 299 as it's still less than my regular price. I usually do 499. It's enough to get the 70% uh, royalty. So we'll see how it goes. Um, with 99 cents book one, I usually have the jump to 499 with book two and make obviously more money on the rest of the series. Uh, I kind of use that 99 cents in the beginning to get more readers to potentially try it out because it's such a you know that's like no biggie for most people. Um, 2 dollars is still a good deal. Epic Fantasy category I think is one where you can get away with the higher prices. I noticed a lot of uh, $4.99, $5.99 indies in there and um, Sarah J Moss, I think she's got like a Netflix series or something coming out so her books are just completely dominating like the top 500 on maybe the top 200 on Amazon and like the top six slots in Epic Fantasy right now so I was like oh good and then there's Brandon Sanderson, his books are still selling like hotcakes, so it's a great time to launch into the, into this genre. Joe, something to look forward to for you. At least Harry Potter isn't there right now. Uh, my other little tidbit that I thought I'd share that is kind of amusing to me is I accidentally found out that using certain words in the description can still get you into categories you didn't necessarily want. This was not on my epic fantasy, but I've got a new space opera coming out in my Star Kingdom universe, and um, it is a the, the heroine is kind of in a cult that she's leaving it's like a made up fantasy cult uh, and so the word cult is in the description also I think worshipping is in the description um, it's like a techno cult kind of thing but anyway so it, it landed me in a category I didn't even know existed it's under the main category of like I think it's religion and culture and then there's a science fiction and fantasy subcategory under that and I was like wow I'm a number one bestseller on this book I just put up for pre-order it, it, it turns out to be a category that's not very competitive but um this happened to me years ago I, I think i had to email amazon to get it fixed uh, i had a book called that like, conspiracy and i think it mentioned politics in the blurb and it it ended up in like a political thriller category this was for an epic fantasy so you you can email them if you want it to get fixed but in this case i feel like this is not one of my t- this is like an addition to the categories i asked for so you know, there may still be ways to get into more than 10 categories if you have the right keywords in your uh, description, but um, I haven't checked it out beyond that. I just, I thought it was curious and that I would share it with you guys.
2: That's pretty cool. Um, my, um, I think I shared about that one time when my book, my horror, teen horror ended up in clean and wholesome romance. <laughs> still don't know how that happened, but I love that the description. I need to know that I'll have to see if there's anything I can do because I hate emailing them and say, Hey, add this to, you know, this book to these categories. Um, okay. So I am madly working to get book my series finished where revisions are concerned. I have until next Wednesday because my mother-in-law is coming into town and it's helping us get our house ready to list in a week and a half. And I've never had help moving before. This is going to be so awesome. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so next Wednesday, that's actually April 28th. Um, the kids and I are then driving to Washington to stay with my in-laws for about a week while a realtor takes pictures and lists and shows the house. Then we'll be coming home once we're under contract. And um, yeah, then we're gonna move, then we're getting a puppy and it's gonna be my dog. Uh, I've already told my husband, no, this is my dog. I picked the breed. I I picked the breeder. I picked everything. It's my dog. So I'm going to be focusing on training. Uh, I would probably have to focus on training, even if the kids had picked the dog, (laughs) because kids aren't very great at training. Anyway, so book stuff is going to be hitting the back burner for a couple of months. I will be doing some work on it while our nanny's taking over just because that's when I do my book work. But anyway, that's pretty much it for me.
0: Yeah. There's nothing like packing and moving and selling a house to disrupt. I remember when I did it last fall, I was like, Oh, I'll get it all done in about a week. You know, it's not, it ends up being like more of a month that your life is disrupted. And that's if the house sells quickly, uh, you know, which doesn't always happen, but in this (laughs) environment, it probably will. Uh, I will add uh, for my news, um, for those who are curious with, I did the 99 cent book last year, book one, I got about twice as many pre-orders as I did on the $2.99 book one. So that can kind of factor into the equation. Because I know people are often on the fence about like, should I go lower price on the launch of the book one, or should I you know, go for the 70% royalty? So it isn't quite apples to apples, because it was urban fantasy last year and epic fantasy this year. But I feel that my audience kind of reads both. All right. But so let's talk about our main topic now, how to grow your audience as an author. And we each have three kind of tips and we're going to alternate and, and we'll discuss each other's a little bit. So I am going to go first. Uh, so my first tip, and I've talked about this lots of times before, including recently on the bonus materials episode, but is you know, first tip is to be generous and give some of your stories away for free. And you don't have to give away entire novels unless you've already got a series. Maybe it makes sense to do a free book one. But, you know, we kind of tend to forget as authors in in this sort of digital age, focusing on eBooks, which are generally relatively inexpensive, but we kind of forget how many of us discovered our favorite authors as kids by checking them out of the library first or getting them, I can't tell you how many books I used to get at the used bookstore where basically the author and the publisher got nothing, but they. I became like super fans of those authors. And later on when I was older, I, I would start buying their new books. Or I've even, I have some authors that like I originally got from the used bookstore that later on I bought like an audio. I have the hardbacks and I have the Kindle versions because you just never know where you're going to be when you're moved to to do a reread. So, you know, I don't think you should be hung up too much on like getting paid for everything that everything has to be like, uh, worth, you know, I put X amount of hours in this, so I should charge X amount. But, um, you know, if you're kind of generous and, give stuff away on your website or, or put some stuff out in the stores for free, you know, ideally that link to your other series. So it is a gateway into the books that you can make money on. Uh, You know, you'll probably find that uh, not only is it easier to promote those books because people are like, Oh sure, it's free. I'll give it a shot. Um, that, you know, if you're not a real salesy type, you'll probably be more comfortable with it. I know as introverts, a lot of us are like, I don't want to ask somebody for money. Even if it's only three or $5, but it's just a lot easier to say like, Hey, this thing's free. If you like it, you know, great. If you don't, you don't lose any money. So, and, and I will say you've probably seen this video if you've been around, but Neil Gaiman has a little talk on YouTube and I'll put a link in the show notes where he kind of talks about how we got on the internet. He noticed how he started selling all these books in all these countries where his books were widely pirated, uh, you know, and he talks about how that's not a coincidence because so many people were getting the books for free, falling in love with them, and then going on to buy his other books that maybe weren't Easily to find on the pirate sites, or maybe they just decided they wanted physical copies for themselves. So, you know, you don't have to make everything permanently free or even a book one permanently free. You can cycle through what's out there. Throw something up on your website with a link to Book Funnel. I just did that. I was kind of inspired by the topic of this episode. And, you know, especially your stuff that's like maybe not in the main series, but it, you know, it can work as an entry point. Like I had a standalone that's like, I call it book 7.5, but You know, none of the sites really allow you to do that and have it show up on the series page between seven and eight. Well, that's not true. I think I looked and Kobo and Apple were pretty good about that, but Amazon, they have started a lot. They do list now the related stuff in the series at the bottom of the series page. So that is a plus, but they still won't allow you to like, go, oh, this is 5.5. You should, you know, and tuck it into the right spot. But um, anyway, a little bit rambly there. Do you guys have any thoughts on that?
1: uh I, obviously uh i got first in, uh, in series free for all three of my main series and it's really my primary promotional tactic uh it's not nearly as successful as it used to be but it's still you know keeping me with with a roof over my head so it's good doing good enough uh, also i found like th- this goes for not just writing, but like I recently put up two audiobooks on on YouTube for free, and I am um, if the if the comments are to you know any indication, uh, I'm getting some fans from that too. So really, any sort of giveaway is a potential vector to producing a new fan.
2: Yeah, definitely agree. Uh, I'm almost all in in Kindle Unlimited, but I put all every single book or story of mine that does not make me money, um, up for free everywhere. So I put on smashers and had, had smashers send that around for free. So that's like 30 books. So middle grade, short stories, novellas, novels that don't sell very well, et cetera. So I wanted to make sure that I wasn't leaving my wide readers high and dry or just, or even just three retailers. I just, you know, want to make sure they know I appreciate them, even though they don't get any money off of me. <laughs> but, um, about half of them, I've had Amazon price match, so it's not about Amazon. It's about the other retailers because I just don't really care about Amazon some days. Anyway, so that's that's been beneficial. I've had a lot of readers find me that way, and they've you know they've been like, hey, thank you for all the free stuff. So that's that's a really great way to find new readers.
1: All right. So uh, my first tip is to use your back matter. It's easy to overlook it, but the back matter of your book, which is, if you're not familiar with the term, it's the stuff that immediately follows the story at the end of the book. Uh, it's profoundly important. Uh, this is basically the only way I've ever built my newsletter with the exception of one or two newsletter swaps. It's, I've only ever just had my newsletter link up on my site and in my back matter. Uh, the back matter is one of the few places where you can be reasonably certain that if someone is looking at it, not only have they read your book, but they've just finished reading your book. Uh, so you are the, at the very forefront of, of their mind at the moment, and your story, or at the front of their mind at the moment they're looking your, at your back matter. So it's important that you use it effectively. If you've got multiple books out in the same genre, or if you've got a series, make sure you mention it, either another book in the same genre or the next book in the series, uh, if you don't mention them or link them there, maybe a series starter of something else if you don't have anything uh, appropriate. If you release the book and then years later release something that might be linkable, don't forget to go back and update your back matter. You can do it. It's tedious if you're wide and don't use a distributor if you go individually to everywhere, but it can be worth it uh, if that it turns out is, for example, a free giveaway, uh, and it suddenly becomes a funnel instead of just a, a, a thing to, to gather readers maybe onto a newsletter. Now it can be funneling readers to other books. So the back matter is super useful there. And uh, as a corollary, uh, and this, by the way, expands your, 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 uh, your fans and, and get you more readers. Because if you read one book of somebody's, that doesn't really make you a fan Um, like a fan is somebody who goes back again and again and again, and they can't do that if you don't if they don't know that you have more to go to. So every chance that somebody has to read one of your things is another chance that they're going to become hooked on you and just become a fan overall. And as a corollary, don't forget to update the back matter if anything relevant changes besides the books. uh, I have, for example, had uh, uh, before I used to have a promo link that would give away certain books. And for some reason, the structure of that link changed, and all of a sudden it was just getting a 404. So, uh, don't make sure everything that's in your back matter is, is, you know, still active. The last thing you want is for somebody to get a dead link in the back matter. It feels unprofessional because it is unprofessional. And, uh, there are other things you can do with your back matter to help grow your audience too, besides just linking to your other books. Uh, It could honestly be as simple as just asking folks to spread the word if they like the book. Like, you can ask for word of mouth. You won't necessarily get it, but it's a simple sentence to put in there that doesn't feel like an affront to anybody. You can also ask for reviews because more reviews tend to attract more people to, to, you know, click on your book and give it a chance. At the very least, uh, you know, social proof and all that, it, it, it helps. So, yeah, back matter. It's a powerful tool that is too often overlooked.
2: I definitely agree. And a lot of the times authors, when they don't overlook it, they're kind of panicked and a little bit disorganized about how they handle their back matter. Um, but like you're saying, it is super, super important. It's one of the most important things you can do because that's the impression readers get as soon as they finish a book. And if they like the book, that's the best time to ask them to do something. Um, I always use the exact same method every time and I've had really good results with that because readers know exactly what to expect. So I first put a link to grab the next book in the series. Then I have an image that, you know, shares, you know, says get a free book by joining my newsletter list here. I have the author note where I ask for reviews and tell them a little bit about the process of writing that book. And then I have my bio that includes like other books I've written. And I do it this way because again, that is that organized. It's that professional front. They know what to expect. Every single book has that. And then the thing, and then, um, like uh, readers who are going to go and buy the next book anyway, then they're like, Hey, I know there's a link to buy the next book. Look, there's a newsletter and stuff like that. Um, anyway, so the thing you want to have readers do the most, make sure it's the most attention getting. So if you want readers to buy your next book, then put a book cover for the next book there and then say, buy this next book and make sure you put calls to action in. don't just put a book cover and hope that they'll do it. And don't just say, Hey, if you're thinking about it, if you ever get a chance to do it, come grab this book, you might like it. You put a strong call to action, You know, grab the next book in the series, continue the inventor here or whatever, the inventor here, Um, and and then, or put an image for a free book to join your newsletter, or if you wanna get uh, reviews, put an image that links to the book where they can go in directly, the exact spot on Amazon or the other retailers where they can actually leave a review. So make it as easy for them as possible and as noticeable as possible and get creative.
0: One thing you can also do in the back of the book, which I have not done, honestly, for the last couple of series, but I used to be better about doing it at least once per series is doing something extra like that's you talking to the reader whether it's like this was the genesis of this book i mean i've done in, i've done like character interviews i've answered questions that people submit, you know gave me on facebook sometimes we do that stuff on our website or in our newsletter but it's important to realize that a lot of people however hard you push your newsletter however many bonuses you offer there's just a group of people that they're never going to sign up for a newsletter you know they're not going to come follow you on social media yeah. But they're going to read the book. And having something from your voice, you know, a little extra that talks about the story or your life or, you know, however, whatever you're comfortable with sharing, that's the kind of thing that makes people care about you and relate to you and like want to support you and not maybe like just get your book from KU maybe they buy a copy too because they you know you maybe you talk about that in the book if that's something that you know whatever you want to talk about and and, you know and I've definitely noticed that the people who follow me like on Facebook and that I see my dog pictures and things like that are like they're kind of the super fans and they they really want to support you and share your stuff so if you want to like grow your audience and have people do word of mouth, the more you seem like a human being and and not just like this detached story that could have come from anyone, the the more they can connect with you. All right. I think, actually, sorry, Andrea, I believe you're next.
2: I sure am next.
0: (laughs) Okay. So, um, because I like
2: marketing and promoting, my first suggestion is to do regular promotions. I know the whole goal of this was to be like don't you know outside of the box thinking, but honestly, like when I'm working with clients and when I'm just just ch- you know seeing what people are doing, a lot of the time they run promotions and then nothing happens and they get discouraged and they stop running promotions and I mean there's like this egg and chicken thing where you have to build on on everything and everything has to build on each other and you'll eventually get to the point where where when you run a promotion, you will have results from that. And I'll talk about that in just a second. But these promotions, like if you're in Kindle Unlimited, don't let a 90-day period go by where you aren't taking advantage of the free days or the Kindle countdown periods. Um, If you're out of Kindle Unlimited, once a month on free books and box sets and starter books is a really, really good um, business plan because outside of Kindle Unlimited, you want to have like a, you know, what is it? I'm doing it with my hands. Like you want to have a natural up and down (laughs) where it looks like a worm undulating across (laughs) the desert, maybe a snake. It's a tesseract. (laughs) Um, but no, you want to have it be where it's going in and out of people's view regularly so that it doesn't it, you don't get a big spike; you just get a consistent, steady, slow traffic that's going. And these do not have to cost a lot of money. Even just hundred dollars per promotion, or even a you know ten dollars per promotion, would be fine. Um, having a perma-free book really helps. So go back to Lindsay's tip, where you know offer something for free. Make sure your back matter is solid. So Joe's tip right there, um, and then make sure you have a, an automation sequence. This is especially good for people who. I'm sorry, aren't Lindsay. <laughs> Lindsay does not need an automation sequence because she is, she's solid in her career. She's got a lot of readers who follow her. But for authors who are starting out and who are starting up again after taking a break for a long time, an automation sequence is a really great idea to help readers come to know, like, and trust you. So basically, get a good flow or funnel to turn casual readers into lifelong fans. So you send the traffic to that book and they download, maybe only a couple of people download, but you have to start somewhere. And then they, maybe a few of those join your newsletter, or whatever, all of that stuff. So when you're running promotions, you can have big ones, you can have s- simple and small ones. I talk about that more in my big bank promotions course. Um, just run them, tell your readers about them, ask your readers to share. Um, and like I was saying, it's hard when you run promotions and nothing happens. This is when you need to check out your product page and make sure everything there is as professional and, and, and as reader friendly as possible. So is your cover professional? Um, is it on queue or on tap, I don't know what the word is. Does it fit the genre that you're selling in? Is your description professional? Um, it does it, you know, again, fit the genre. Is your price competitive for the genre and for the amount of reviews you have? If you are, if you have a lower than maybe a 100, lower than 50 reviews, you're gonna want your price to be lower. Um, are your reviews solid? Do you have a bunch of reviews? If you if you have more than a hundred and you're still not getting downloads, then look at your cover and your description. Look at the genre you're writing in. Maybe it's not a genre that's doing really, really well right now. And then you just have to be patient and expect it to go up later and continue producing more product. Um, remember also things are slow in the beginning, but they speed up the more books you have out in the same genre. So that's my first tip.
0: That was like 73 tips. <laughs> Is that allowed? Are we allowing that, Joe? I'm not sure here. I'll allow it. Oh, okay. Joe says it's cool. Um, so I will say yes to like the promotions. Uh, you know, especially if you are in KDP Select and you get those free days. If you're at the end of the quarter and haven't used them, might as well. You know, especially on older books. Like maybe you don't want to run, do a free something on something you just launched that quarter. But if it's been a year and people aren't going to be like, "Hey, I just paid for that." Uh, then do it. Like I just ran one on my first urban fantasy for the first time in several months. And I didn't book any promos for it because I was booking promos for the books that are like starting the new series and the like I have two new things coming out right now so but it it got a lot of downloads I was surprised I mean for fantasy anyway I know contemporary romance people are like oh as if I get that many downloads before I get up in the morning on my free days but I know I got like 2,500 downloads over a weekend so I thought that was pretty good for me for urban fantasy um actually that's probably as many as I get (laughs) if I do book promos. Uh, so I don't know what that says about the state of the industry on promos. Um, yeah, and the autoresponder thing, I, I think that's a good idea too. It's just uh, like in my case, the only reason I don't do it is because every time I send out a newsletter, I get a lot of email back. So it's creating work for myself. But until you get to that point where you're getting a lot of replies for your newsletter, you know, and it becomes a thing where you have to choose where you're going to spend your time, then it, it's like what I was talking about with the back matter stuff. It's a good way to become a real person to the, the reader that signs up for your newsletter.
1: And a couple things here. This is sort of a don't do what I do situation because I'm bad at promos and, and ads. Those are two areas where I have been uh, lax. And again, impressive that I still have a career. So a free series starter really works well. Um, uh, when when we say set up regular promos, that means actually set them up, not you know try to set them up and fail. Like lots of people really want to do a book book bug. Book bugs are still the gold standard, even though they don't have the punch they used to. They still have quite a punch, but uh, you know you're not guaranteed to get one. So. BookBub should almost be, a, you know, on top of like you, you try to follow up a BookBub with the promos you were going to do anyway. Don't just decide, okay, this month I'm going to get a BookBub. Like, you actually have to do things you can actually do on purpose. And also speaking of the autoresponder, I mentioned earlier having a bad link. Uh, I have an autoresponder sequence. I think it's five deep and one of them leads to the free audiobook I have, which is now on YouTube. I guess I could add that to the, to the responder, but um, that... That link structure changed, too, and I received an email from someone saying, hey, I'm a big fan of, of audiobooks, and uh, I, I'm, I'm afraid I can't download the one you said was free. So I fixed it, but also that person was, like, super happy that I replied and gave them the new link and all that. So, yeah, you'd be surprised at how artisanally you can get new fans just by, you know, being attentive.
0: I will say for all of us who are trying to grow our audiobook audiences, I think I mentioned in one of the last couple of shows that I actually had some success with that last year. Once you do that, they're gonna be super disappointed if you don't have the audiobook available on release day. So I, I went ahead and pulled the trigger and put out the ebook. Like a month, you know, I don't want to wait till June to release one, and everybody's like, "So, what's the audio coming?" I like to read these on audio. I'm an audiobook fan, so I'm like, "It's coming, it's coming." But uh, yeah, because trad publishing has certainly kind of programmed readers to expect to get it—paperback, ebook, audiobook—all available on release day. And I think if you're only releasing a couple books a year, that's a little more doable than if you're more of the fast writer, or rapid release type. But um, I, I'm trying to figure it all out. I'll get better eventually. All right. My next tip, though, for growing your audience is to be consistent and publish regularly. Um, So if you think about TV series that you've binged watched over uh, like a couple of weeks, like you got all the Netflix uh, streaming it straight to your TV and just chain watched it, you know how you do it. We all do it. Um, But can think of that versus a series that like maybe back when regular TV was more of a thing that was on every night, Thursday at eight on whatever channel for years and years, chances are that that series that was like that has stuck in your head a lot more than the things that you binge watch, which you probably a few years later, you barely even remember that you watched that because it was in such a compressed period of time. Um, And there's nothing wrong with like new readers coming along and binge reading your backlist. That's awesome. But by regularly putting out new releases in the genres or series that your readers love, you become kind of indelibly imprinted on their minds. And, and there's an amazing power in that. Like they get into the habit of checking for new releases from you if it's been a while. Like you don't have to be a super, you know, every month or two, you publish something, but let's say you put out a book regularly in January and July every year and your readers will start to remember that you kind of programming, programming them. It's almost like a habit and they start to look for you. So even those people that maybe didn't uh, weren't willing to sign up for the newsletter, they're like, oh shoot, it's January. I got to see if Joe lallo has got a new book out because he always, does in January. So there's a a lot of power in that if you can kind of do that consistently over time.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely agree that uh, that being consistent, like even more important than being rapid, is just being consistent because you train your re- your readers and your fans to to expect things from you, and you sort of stay at the top of their mind. If you can be rapid and consistent, well, then you, that's all sorts of good because not only are you staying at the front of people's minds, but you're you're building your library quickly. And it's one of the reasons I started doing the Patreon was so that I would have something new every month for people, even if they weren't necessarily uh, uh, you know even if they weren't members. Of of the the Patreon, if they followed me in any way, then they knew that I was producing new fiction once a month, uh, and, and yeah, it just keeps the conversation going. It is the difference between way, the way Netflix does a full season of, say, you know, Stranger Things, whereas Disney Plus does a weekly release of The Mandalorian, and which one of those stays in people's minds longer? The one that's that's you know periodic and and extends uh, just consistency is good.
2: Yeah, I would have to say I agree with that like with what Joe said, especially that it is more important probably than rapid releasing. Um, what I put in my notes is this is so freaking important. <laughs> uh, I can't even stress how important it is. It's something I've always struggled with, uh, which is why my success goes up and down in waves. I do a mad scramble to release books when my life has calmed down enough for me to actually do book writing. And I kind of panic. I'm like, it's not going to happen again. And then I make my life miserable and everybody's lives around me miserable. And honestly, it would just go better if I picked a few months every year. To release and recognize that that's all I'll be doing that year. So, like, say April and August and November. You know, three months a year. Um, this falls under my tip from last week: stick to something. When you have a business plan, stick to your business plan. Don't make it public. Just give it a few, give it a couple of years rather than months to see if it works. And it's going to take. A long time for, for things to, like for readers to recognize your pattern. You can tell them what your pattern is, but then if you veer from that, that's going to cause problems for you later down the road. It's better to just let them recognize it as, as you do it consistently. And again, we're, we're so excited and so hyper about being successful right now. We, we need to recognize that success is, it, you're starting a brand new career. It's, um, even authors who've been doing it for five years, for more than five years. I mean, remember the note we made in the very beginning of our podcast where you can't just expect to get this education and then hit the ground running. You actually need to build up your career from starting from scratch and like your college education in your publishing career. And it just, it doesn't start immediately.
1: All right, so um, next up, my next tip is uh, to try to build a community. Uh, I don't care how prolific you are, chances are you're not going to be able to provide your audience with fresh material every time they look for it. There will inevitably be a lag between releases. Even if you're being consistent, maybe you're, you're really ravenous fans are looking for things in between releases even then. So you don't want to slip too far from their minds uh, one way to do this is to try to put together a place where your readers can gather online and talk to each other. Uh, a Facebook fan page or a Facebook group is a really good example. You could do it with a blog. You could do it with a forum. M- maybe even not your forum. I've heard people who just start a thread in a publicly accessible forum and then just have a community there. Um, social media account will do it. The idea is to give your fans a little bit of access to you uh, and a lot of access to each other. This is This will help casual fans become more invested because suddenly they can, you know, it becomes a a, a, an activity as opposed to just a a fandom. Everyone has more fun. Uh, A good, happy community will have all sorts of add-on effects. The word of mouth will go up because people are talking more about you and therefore more people will hear it. That's how word of mouth works. It'll build, uh, you know, it'll sort of Build in place and people will start to really like just get more invested in the books. Uh, you'll be able to promote at in that community more often than you. Let's say if you want to avoid hitting your newsletter too frequently, uh, if you've got a, an active community anywhere, you can c- promote through that without hitting your newsletter. There's a few things to keep in mind though. While it doesn't take very much activity to keep a community rolling, uh, I find that if as long as I do at least a couple of posts a week, on my uh, Facebook fan page. There tends to be some decent activity there. I, if I let it if I let it lapse, it starts to die down, you gotta build back up. But uh, it is still a recurring time investment. So if you're an introvert and this is gonna burn some of your precious social juice, just be aware that's gonna be a thing. Also, if you do very well at building community uh, and it becomes sizable, uh, into the hundreds and thousands, for example, not hundreds of thousands, although that'd be great. Uh, There's probably going to be some moderation to do. Uh, If you're not comfortable doing that yourself, if the group is that large, there's almost certainly someone who's willing to volunteer to be a moderator. Uh, If you want more control or something more more reliable than a volunteer, then you could certainly hire a community organizer. Uh, It's important to do this for big, big communities because you want to make sure things are pleasant. You want to make sure there's nothing bad going on. Uh, Again, it doesn't really take much moderation. Just this conversation is going in a bad direction. Let's try to keep it on topic. Um, There are are books and TV shows that uh, have become notorious for having bad fans. And the bad fans are frequently a result of a community coming together, and just sort of feedbacking in a bad way. So th- again, this is a problem that only arises once it's a gigantic community. And by then you're getting, you know, you've, you've had a lot of benefits that should enable you to, uh, to you know, take care of this problem and still have a net positive. But yeah, having a community is great. It's a self-sustaining way to sort of keep people interested in your stuff in between releases.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's, it's pretty difficult to build up a community, especially a community where people feel comfortable chatting, my Facebook group has finally gotten to the point where there's conversations happening in there. And something I've recognized that um, I kind of, I mean, just relax a little bit, like don't be the kind of person where only you can post. And And only, only you can do certain things. Like if somebody goes in there and says, Hey, did you see that so and so has a new book out? Then that's really great, actually. Um, and, or, or if they're like, Hey, here's a really funny meme about reading. I've got a couple of readers who share memes all the time in my Facebook group about reading and they're funny and fun and allow them to do things like that because it, it encourages, it encourages that discussion and it just helps them feel more relaxed in your community if it's not all about you all the time.
0: This is going to be the kind of thing that is going to be dependent on you as an author how comfortable you are with this kind of stuff i've certainly seen authors that like really encourage it and do like fan groups and um interact a lot with their readers and they'll say things like which of my characters do you think is the most awesome not like that but like stuff that i would be like so horrified to say like i'm like none of my characters are awesome i mean i have to let things i can't say stuff like that like you know having polls like which character would you like to do so I think in my case, this is much better if this is something that happens organically, which to some extent, it probably will if you get big enough. Um, it's kind of hard to force this stuff until you've got the readership. TV shows obviously get a whole lot of more people right away, generally. But um, to some extent, you can kind of encourage this, though, through the way you build but like a series. If you've got sort of these intriguing characters and unsolved mysteries throughout the series and that... Uh, uh, Potential romantic couple, the unresolved sexual tension that keeps going between books and books—that's the kind of thing that really fosters this stuff. Because readers want to get together, and they want to talk about like, are those characters going to hook up? Or I hate the love triangle, triangle thing, but that's another one. Like, which one is she going to pick? You know? And the fans really get into this stuff. And I think this is another thing where actually rapid release can hurt you. Um, you know, it's great for your pocketbook. I, I obviously have no qualms about publishing frequently, but I definitely noticed with my first series where the books came out about five, six months apart, which I still thought was pretty good for me at the time. You know, it was pretty good. that um, the readers had a lot more time to, like, want to find each other online and, and find other people. And that, you know, it kind of spawned a lot of fan fiction and fan art. Um, on the other side, you know, when you put out a whole series in a year, there's not as much time. They're not, like, dying to know what happens next because it's going to happen next month. It's hardly any time at all to wait, So they're not, like, going out and, like, trying to find other fans that are want to be in the fandom with them. So... That's just something to consider when you're, you know, planning a big series or something that's going to sprawl it, you know, like I said, it's great for your pocketbook to have released pretty often, but you can get some more of this fan like interaction and then like doing, really getting excited and talking to each other and wanting to create these communities when they have to wait longer between releases.
2: Okay. My tip, my next tip. Um, I kind of feel silly about this because it's so obvious, (laughs) um, running ads to your first and series books and your box sets, um, you could run ads to later books in the series, but it is always as, as effective depending on the genre. Like if you write romance, then it's probably fine to run an ad to a later book in a series. Um, but my whole point with this is to test, 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 and to be patient and don't start huge when you start testing, like grab an Excel spreadsheet if you're doing Facebook ads, name your ad, the same thing, you name it on the spreadsheet, on the act, the ad inside of Facebook, um, the campaign, the ad set and the ad, give them all the exact same name and then on your spreadsheet. And then if you use Amazon affiliate tags, use the same name in that tag, just to help you keep things um, samified so that you can actually keep things organized. And then that way, you, if your life is really insane, you can check that ad, you know, like a couple of weeks later or even a month later or whatever, you know, run it for a week and then just see how things go, how things, um, how things go for you. Don't do all of your ads at once. So figure out like if Facebook works, works best for you or if Amazon ads work best for you or if, um, whatever else. And then make sure you run tests, you monitor your results, then know how many downloads each ad is getting you before you try to move on to the next platform. And then again, like we were saying earlier, you got to make sure that your back matter, your auto sequence, et cetera, are all solid. Uh, one of my favorite ads to run are giveaway ads. I, I see people asking this all the time and talking about this all the time, set up a giveaway, run an ad to that giveaway through Facebook, a targeted ad, and then get, um, you know, people joining your newsletter list through that, and then you can also retarget them. If you get a big enough newsletter list, you can take that on Facebook and create a whole new audience based on that.
0: Right, That's all good. I don't think I have too much more creativeness to add to that. One um, thing you know, when you're running the ads to like b- book one, you can kind of alternate, like you mentioned, box sets. Eventually, you may have like a books one through three box set. So sometimes you can be running ads to the book one, and then when people sort of maybe the ads seem to be working less well, you know, switch it up, turn off those and start running them to the box set for a while to so people see something new. Hopefully you have a different cover for your box set. And it's not just like, I mean, I've done it. I've certainly had the ones that are like the three covers spliced together on the front, but, um, more often now I get like an all new cover for the box set. So it looks like a whole new book. People are seeing something different in the ads. And also you can't do it on Amazon ads, but affiliate links, if you can use them, you know, on your website, you can, uh, you're not supposed to in your newsletters, on your Facebook page, you can, I think you're not supposed to on Facebook ads, I believe, but um, if you're boosting a post on your Facebook page, you can use them. I mean, you can really use them until you get caught, <laughs> it is the, kind of the gist of it, but nothing will tell you more accurately than if you got, because they tell you if you got a sale even the new dashboard with AMS ads, it's a little like now you can kind of see the page reads that come in within two weeks of the download. But man, I don't know how many people in KU like download stuff and then read it. I mean, I know it's a lot of people download things and don't read it right away because I will get, I'll take stuff out of KU and like two years later I get page reads on it. I'm like, wow, that was on somebody's Kindle for quite a while. So that was a bit of a tangent. Uh, Joe, did you want to chime in on that one?
1: Sure. Uh yeah, I would say the two things here are uh number 1 as was stated, uh, you're advertising to first-in-series and box sets. A lot of people that I've spoken to who ask me for advice are only advertising to their most recent release, which is great if it is an entry point, but if it's not an entry point, it's really not a great idea to do dedicated and primary advertising on you know a book three or a book four of a series because it will confuse people who have never seen the rest of your series before. So try to focus your ads on entry points. Uh, And also, uh, I would say of all of the aspects of advertising, the the most important that you get right, determining return on investment is top of the heap. Like, yes, you want to do a good ad and you're going to learn how to make a good ad, but you don't know what a good ad is without learning how to assess its success. So if nothing else, before anything else, figure out exactly how you're going to figure out uh, the performance of an ad and, and just nail that down and then use that skill to build the rest of everything else.
0: All right. And my last tip is going to be, this will be nothing that is surprising to you guys, but to write in a series uh, for some of the reasons we've already talked about, but it's just if a reader falls in love with your world and your characters in book one, the rest of the series can become an auto buy for them, whether it's five more books, 10 more books, or 20 more books. Once they're into your characters, like you've seen it yourselves as, as a reader, you know, you know, nobody wants to say that author just phoned it in or whatever, but it's even the ones where you didn't really like the plot, you keep reading because you enjoy the characters and you want to see what happens next in their lives. And, you know, the point of this is, uh, partially that, yeah, you can afford to spend more on advertising because there's read-through, people buy the rest of the series. But beyond that, it's that readers become intensely loyal to characters after they spend six, eight, 10 books with them. And in most car- cases, it's the characters and their stories that are going to stick in their minds long after they finish the book. I'm not saying you can't accomplish this with one book, but it's really hard, especially with voracious readers. that just, they read a book a day. Um, you know, one book, probably not going to stick in their head if they're reading 300 this year, but by the time they spend 10 books with you, that, you know, you become that person that wrote that one series. And when their friends are looking for recommendations later on, they're like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to read up that series by that one author. It's just, you have that much more space in their brains, you know, it's kind of like I was talking about before with the consistently consistently and regularly, you know, if you, they spend enough time with you that they remember the characters that they're much more likely to um, recommend them to other people. And that's where the biggest thing, the freest, the most free, completely free way to grow your audience is have other people recommend your books. And that's powerful in a way that advertising never can be. We all know we're being advertised. We don't give a, you know, anything about that. We're skeptical about ads. I don't know how other people feel, but, um, you know, I feel like Amazon's maybe a little different because it's almost just like the also bots and the other carousels in there. But boy, you know, people are never going to trust an ad the way they do a recommendation for a friend. So the more... Time, you know, I'm not saying to write a 20 book series if the story doesn't support that, but just realize that putting time into like making some really cool characters and, and writing a good sized series with them is just much more likely that people are going to remember it later on and recommend it to their friends.
1: I can definitely say that uh, just as a reader. Uh, We talk a lot about, you know, how we are as writers, but as reader, um, when I was at my most voracious, I would specifically look for a long series, like we're talking 10, 15, 20 books. And I would buy the first book. And if I liked it, I would be buying books in threes. I would buy paperbacks. In threes, and and just work my way through the entire series. Like as soon as I knew that I liked the writer, then I wouldn't even worry about if the second book was any good because I was buying the next three no matter what. So yeah, there's a tremendous power in writing in series, and and uh, it builds fans quickly, and it you know which is what we're supposed to be talking about, but also just you funnel people through an entire series, and and you know you make uh, a lot more money. It's a lot easier to. Uh, be consistent if you're building off of a previous thing. you, you Basically, the, the writing becomes more efficient. Uh, yeah, just series. They're very good.
2: Yeah, series are my favorite books. <laughs> I, I have a really hard time starting new characters and new series. And so when I fall in love with characters in the first book, I am guaranteed almost 100% to finish that series. And, and standalone books are harder for me to read. Um, any genre can be put into a series. You can have it revolve around the same characters or you can have completely different characters in the same building or the same city or whatever. Just find something that ties readers through. Um, As Lindsay said, those series where the characters all interact around each other all the time and each gets their own book or when it's the same characters all the way throughout. Those do work the best. But if you have a hard time doing that, and I do, I know there are authors, plenty of authors who are like, they write one book about a set of characters and it's a standalone book. Then they're like, I don't want to have to do that again. You can still find ways to tie your book. So you can do themes, you can do feelings, emotions, um, like comedy or drama or whatever. Just find ways that that tie them around like a location or or whatever just be creative just tie them together into a series. Um and the good thing about series is it gives you many new ways to promote books you've already written. Like you can have the first book in the series, you can have the first box set in the series, you can have the series page and get reviews on the series page as well. There's a lot of ways that you can get readers in through a series.
1: And now for my final uh, tip here, it is be strategic with covers and blurbs. Okay, so we're sort of a broken record on this, but picking a cover is, you know, one of the better more important decisions you're going to make about a book. And it's not just about picking a good cover, it's about picking the right cover. Whether your book is showing up in front of prospective readers because of books you may like or frequently bought together or, you know, also bought. We were right before the podcast, we were looking at all the different Uh, carousels that show up on the, on the Amazon page. And there's a lot of them. So there's a lot of opportunities for people to see your book and they're going to be looking at your cover. And, you know, the edges, you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but you absolutely should. It's the, there was, we put that cover on there for a reason. Um, and this is where things get tricky too. I, I sort of changed my policy on this a little bit, but we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, standing out is good, but sticking out like a sore thumb is bad. Uh, fitting in is good but blending in is bad the idea is you want your cover to be eye-catching That's, you know, for sure. But you don't want it to stray too far from the visual shorthand of the genre. If you write a thriller, make sure your book looks like a thriller. Urban fantasy, romance tend to have some pretty firm structures to their covers. Look at the top selling books in your genre and try to figure out what elements are being used to indicate genre and content uh, in those books. And then make sure your cover represents those elements of your book. Uh, you're going to want to also make sure what you're going to showcase something that is unique to your book. Usually, this is going to be a character, or uh, sometimes people just make a logo. There's a lot of different genres that like just a, a, a cover with a logo is is pretty good. But uh, yeah, the idea is you want your book to look like the genre that it's in, and and work from there. Now, if you're feeling really lucky and sassy and you want to buck the trend, you can make a cover that defies expectations. uh, And people will definitely look at it. But you need to make sure that it is a fantastic cover, and you need to make sure that all of the heavy lifting about the genre is then done by your blurb. In the past, I've spoken about the untied shoe theory, where in a line of identical products, the one that's slightly different is the one that gets all the attention. But there's a reason why I say it's the untied shoe theory uh, instead of say the boxing glove in a shoe store theory, it has to be the thing that they're looking for, or they're not going to buy it no matter how interesting it is. So that's, you know, that's how you're going to pick your, uh, you're going to pick your, your cover. This goes double for blurbs. Uh, people, you know, know what people are looking for in a story that's in your genre, identify which of those items, you uh you have in your story and make sure to mention them in the blurb you need to make sure that the like yes your story is unique yes your story should stand out but you need to make sure that people who are looking for a thing are going to find it in your book so that's how you should be strategic you're using strategy with your stuff
2: so um yeah that's my turn right <laughs> okay uh All right. So my tip on this is a lot of authors don't know how to recognize those patterns that follow genres or to recognize them enough to know how to stand out while still looking the same. And so my tip to go along with Joe's is it's better to look exactly like the other books than to stand out because you're probably going to stand out a little bit anyway. I mean, even when a cover designer and, and, and hire a cover designer because they'll actually, they'll know, <laughs> they'll know, but trust your cover designer. And if you don't trust your cover designer, um, or you don't like what they put, what they gave, then do the Facebook test that I've talked about in the past. Um, if you don't know whether you're standing out or not, go as close to the themes as possible and pick a cover designer that who their examples or their pre-mades or whatever fit what you see the genre looking like. It's better to follow an old cliche than to try to start a new trend in the same genre and have it flop.
0: Right. Usually when I do see somebody stand out with a cover that's kind of different from all the other ones, like in space opera, it's almost always a spaceship in a battle. And every now and then, like here's the lone dude in the desert. It's a little different. It's usually calling back to like an earlier style of sci-fi or something like that. So you're capturing readers that are like, "Ooh, nostalgia!" That's the kind of book I used to write, like to read as a kid. So it does require some familiarity, like in long stand, you know, with the genre over the decades. If you're going to do something like that, um, so it, it's just yeah, like Andrew said, it's probably better to be safe unless you really know what you're doing. And you know, you can always change it if it didn't work. Like, uh, especially if you didn't invest too much in a custom illustration. And and we talked about this before, but just as a reminder, even if you're not, you don't write to market, you've got something that's this weird cross-genre thing of like three, I don't mean weird, but you know what I mean. It's artistic. You were original. You didn't know you were, it would be easier to sell if it fell solidly into swords and sorcery. Um, you know, we've talked about it's probably better to kind of once you have it, you know, go and see what it, one of my closest with, uh, okay, urban fantasy. I think that's, that's a category and then design it to look like and feel like as much as you can The cover and the blurb fits into that category. Uh, even if your story does other things, it's okay. Like get the reader in and then they're gonna, not gonna remember what the cover looked like. Anyway, the, the cover is about selling the book more than, uh, like being totally completely honest and truthful with everything that happens in, in the book. All right. I guess, I uh, will pass it back to Andrea for the last one. This is actually my second to last tip. Pat, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> this okay. will be another 73 of them, I believe. In here. <laughs> okay, so this is something I do every
2: time I start something new. Uh, and it's been very, very, very beneficial to me. So ask for volunteers to beta read. And when I say ask for volunteers, I'm not saying ask for five people. I'm saying ask for like 200. And I'm not even joking about that. So it's really helpful if you're starting a new genre or if you're new to publishing in general. Um, authors kind of think they know better. They're like, I I I know how to write. I read these books all the time. They usually don't know better, especially when they're first starting out. And sometimes even like me, I've been writing for a long time. Sometimes I don't know better. Um, and readers know what they're looking for. Readers know what's good. Readers know what the formula is. They know what's expected. The number one comment I get on my books is there are lots of twists and turns I didn't expect. And some readers hate that. They hate that I twist from the expected formula. Other readers, they don't care. Um, but the goal here is a ton of volunteers. This is not just for typos and problems, it's also for marketing. So, but when it comes to typos and problems, watch for their, like, watch for patterns in their feedback. Are they saying that the main character's a jerk? You know, I mean, that, that can be a problem. Like if it's a guy who's a jerk, it's a different thing. If it's a woman who's a jerk, who's a jerk, um, harsh women don't always come across well to women readers. They want their women readers to be sympathetic and to be nice. And maybe that's not politically correct. Maybe it's not what, I don't know it's, but it's what in my experience and from working with my clients, like readers want a main character who has, who is sassy in some genres, but who is, has redeeming qualities and always being a jerk is not a redeeming quality. And the same goes for, for male characters, though they're usually able to get away with being a jerk a little bit more. But if readers are commenting on your character being a jerk, you're going to want to fix that. And yes, that has happened to me. Um, so watch for also problems and patterns, like if they're saying, well, I wasn't expecting that, but it, no, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, just kind of feel for the tone and the theme of, of what the readers are saying because the way they respond, like these 200 readers or whatever is gonna be the way a lot of like the thousands of readers who read your book later are gonna respond. And so watch out for... For those patterns for those negative or those things that they're like, well, it it wasn't what I was expecting, but I still enjoyed it. Watch for those kinds of things and then decide if it's something that you want to fix or if you want to leave, you're going to learn a whole lot about creative writing. And even like I said earlier, even if you've been doing it for a while and you've got like 10 books out and you feel like you understand what readers are expecting, you can learn something from everybody. And especially when you see patterns, um, ignore the feedback that feels wrong. Like if you're like, you know, that just doesn't feel right. You know, you know, your story best. So ignore that kind of feedback, set your pride on the back burner. It's going to be painful. It's always painful to get negative feedback. It's always painful to get even some positive feedback that requires changes and things like that. Um, and then make sure the back matter in your book before or after publication. So if you're like, you have a book that's been out for a while and it's not doing well, Get a whole bunch of volunteer readers and have them read it. Make sure the back matter of the book includes a link to your newsletter so that people can um, sign up for your newsletter again. Even if it is a book that's not published, you want to have action for them to take at the end. Um, offer a reward for those who finish. And, and for those, not just those who finish, but those who finish and give you feedback. So you could say, if you finish and give me the feedback, you're automatically entered into a giveaway. That's only open to people who do this, make the reward really pretty, like really valuable, like a $50 gift card or a Kindle paper white or something, and then have the entry include them giving feedback. Like I said, including a couple specific questions to weed out those who didn't actually read. So, what did you feel about how so-and-so handled this situation? You know, make it be something that is obvious because you're going to have readers who read really fast and they'll be like, oh, I can't remember. And you know, they read it, but make it something obvious, but that shows that they actually read the book. Then keep in touch with people who helped the good, especially the good ones, um, the ones who actually followed through or the ones who gave really, really good feedback. Keep in touch with those people and um, and then do it again in the future or just, you know, tell them that the next book's available, things like that, or tell them the book is published if it hasn't been published yet. Um, let's see. Um, you're going to need to get creative when it comes to finding volunteers to help. Um, you can ask author friends, you know, and say, Hey, could you share this with your newsletter and say, Hey, my friend is looking for feedback on her book, things like that. Um, authors, people are willing to help in that way. If you're not doing it as a way to like get promotions, which I mean, this is a marketing tool too, but if you're doing it as a way to grow stronger as an author and to find new readers, then a lot of people are going to be willing and and interested in helping you. You can use hashtags on Twitter. And if you don't know how to find hashtags on Twitter, uh, you can Google Google that. (laughs) But um, reading hashtags are sometimes specific and different. Just hashtag your genre and type out the pound sign, and then populate a little bit. And then if Twitter fills in the rest, then you know that's a hashtag that's going to be useful. You can post in reader groups with permission, of course. Um, You can ask your friends and family to help you find volunteers. Uh, The goal is to get readers hooked, to get to get help knowing what readers expect, what they think, and what patterns are problematic. And then to make sure, also make sure you target your specific genre so that you are getting readers who actually read your genre to um, give their feedback and to help you out.
0: I feel like you did not do writing workshops before you published, and this because this is a writing workshop. I mean, you this is really a like I think you're doing it later in the process. But you know, most of us that came up like trad publishing was all there was. We had to do writing workshops. So we were going to be in the system for ten years before we could publish anything. Um, but that's a great way to. And I, I cringe when I hear people don't rec- not recommending it. I don't think I've ever heard anybody rec- recommend against workshops who's actually like a super popular good selling author in the end. Like people got some weird notions about it, but the more feedback you can get. You know, and this is tying back to our subject. the Better you can learn the craft, the better your story is in the end. The easier it is going to be to grab readers and grow your audience and give them what they want. Um, but yeah, I would I would say if you're open to it at all, join an online writing workshop or a local writing workshop while before you kind of already have the book written, because the closer you get to what you feel is that you're done, the harder it is to go back and do a big rewrite. Um, you know, with a writing workshop, you're often like sharing chapters as you go, things like that, and you can kind of get feedback. Seven chapters in, you may realize, oh man, everybody hates this main character, and so scrap it, start over again. Considering those, you know, those first couple books, you may never publish. It's it's really just a learning thing. Um, so I don't that maybe that's different. That's kind of what you're describing the beta readers to me. That's what I think of, and that's how I originally found my first beta readers. Is there were people that over years I built relationship with on a writing workshop, and I like the way the feedback back they gave like they were critical but supportive and they seem to get it that's it's really kind of hard to find that so once you find those people you want to like thank them thank them keep them there like you were saying give them gift cards like I pay my beta readers now because I I write so much I I want to give them something when you're in a workshop usually you're paying people back because you're critiquing their stuff in return so it's very 50-50 kind of relationship when you're just asking for people to beta read and not offering anything in return you know like you can do that. Like you might get fans that are willing to do that and have the time to do that. I can't even imagine <laughs> myself. Um, but yeah, so that's just my thought is get the craft as strong as you can before you release the book and, and you have a much better shot than of having that first one take off.
2: But really fast, if your book is not selling and it's been published for a while, this is still a great way to find what's wrong with it. Like, why is it not selling?
0: <laughs> right. Well, then that's why I, that's why cringe kind of when people go straight to self-publishing and put their first book out without having gone through the whole process of workshops, go to writing conferences, read the books, you know, get feedback before, because I think that's what happens a lot of times is people just put their first book out with maybe mom read it, you know, or their teacher that's, or their, you know, uncle that's an English teacher or whatever. Um, You really need to have like kind of had the litmus test of like, like I said, if you can sell some short stories first, before you publish your first novel, just to know your writing is good enough, an editor was willing to pay for um, you know, I think that's a good way to go. But yes, I agree. Like, I obviously don't publish that one. But <laughs> if you published it, and it didn't work, it's good to find out why, you know, for sure.
1: And I think one of the key things there is uh, making sure like one of the reasons to have a lot of beta readers is number one, you're going to have a pretty low hit rate in terms of people who actually complete the book. But number two, you want to definitely have a beta reader who is a, you know, an avid reader of the genre. There's a I have a lot like if you've been publishing for a while, you're going to have a handful of beta readers who are your favorites, who are the ones who reliably finish the book and give you useful information. But if you go into a genre that they're not familiar with, they might still really like the book because it's your book written in your voice and they love your books, but they might not know to point out the areas in which it diverges from expectation for that genre. And everyone's going to diverge from expectation. Like that's how you differentiate your book. So you need to know where you can and where you can't. And I, when I released my urban fantasy, I missed the mark a little bit because I was patterning it off of a book that it turns out was a, was an oddball of the genre. Uh, so I didn't realize that the areas in which I was clinging were not the areas I should have been and vice versa. And that would have been caught by a, uh, an avid reader of that genre who was a beta reader.
0: Yeah, the the good and bad of workshops is you're with other writers, Often other people with like editing experience and they're super hypercritical and they can be too, they can give you bad, you know, advice. Part of it is learning which advice is good and which is bad and kind of developing your voice and your confidence. And, and that can take a while and you get beat up a little bit along the way. But, um, those are the people that know the genre though, because they're also public, you know, they're also trying to write epic fantasy or whatever. And they've probably read a zillion of it too. So, uh, again, definitely recommend that if you can, but you know, again, just as much as you can do to improve the craft is really going to, it's the key. Like, you know, not everybody's going to be, we're not going to get literary awards necessarily and get Netflix deals and all those things. But if you can write the kind of stories that a certain type of audience loves, you're going to grow your audience and your fan base naturally. I mean, you got to market a little bit, but it's a lot easier when you've got a product that uh, appeals to people. All right. Do you guys have any final thoughts? No final thoughts? Hold on. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for listening to everyone. And thank you to Joshua Pearson for producing the show. You can find the show notes or leave a question or comment at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six. Bye-bye. See y'all later.
1: So long, everybody.